The mic is hot and the game is on. You're listening to News for the Nation podcast by Aces Nation, where we talk about nutrition, sports performance, the journey of a student athlete, and more. I'm Claire. I'm Zach. Time Time to to level level up. Welcome back, sports fans. (laughs) You're listening to Aces Nation, uh, News for the Nation podcast. Uh, Today, we're going to be talking about uh, controlling the controllables, and we'll give you a little bit of guidance um, as far as uh, just generally what you can do uh, for coaches. More of that information is for coaches, but great to know for athletes, uh, even for parents, just to have that information about things that you can do generally to make your uh, training or your um, nutrition the best it can be, right? I'm here with Claire, as always. Hello. Uh, So we hope you're doing well today. Um, But before we get into that, I got to go into my opening opinion here. This new segment here, I guess we're doing uh, just really going for this. So kind of different. I'm going to play an Instagram post that I came across, I think, Monday morning. Um, Monday or Tuesday, yeah. Yeah, it just kind of came up. And so it's... might ruffle a little feathers, a couple feathers here, but that's okay. Right, right. It's it's good. It, I'll be honest with you. I don't nece- I don't necessarily uh, agree with the entire thing. That's why I have an opinion on it, obviously. Um, but some things I I can understand and I can appreciate from a certain perspective as to why they were put that way. Uh, but I want to bring it out because it's a good conversation piece. I realize I'm going to trigger some people here, but I don't really care. There's no good or bad technique, just technique that is efficient and inefficient. We can't judge the quality of a movement just based on how it looks because different people use different strategies to move a weight from point A to point B. And one isn't necessarily better than the other. One might allow one lifter to lift a certain weight with a with less amount of effort but the same technique might do the complete opposite for someone else check this out here we have three completely different looking deadlifts we have enrico with a long torso and long limbs jalen with a long torso and long limbs and myself with a short torso and long limbs so there's none of them that are good or bad they're just different and they have to be because we can't change our bone length segments We need to work with what we have and find a strategy that allows each one of us individually to move the most amount of weight with the least amount of effort. So she's saying that there's no good or bad lifts or or movements or exercises, just efficient and inefficient. Right. Interesting. Uh, Yeah. Okay. So let's just start off uh, as, as much as we can go from the top down from what was said in the post. Okay. Number one, let's get this straight. Inefficient is bad when it comes to lifting weights, okay? Anytime you have an external load and your body is in a position, uh, specifically she mentioned the deadlift where it's not very advantageous for yourself uh, from the bottom of the floor or from that beginning movement. Uh, So any inefficiency is bad and that's um, put you at a higher risk of injury, okay? So that was the first thing, okay? And the second thing is, as, as strength conditioning professionals who are certified, who have uh, years of experience, you know, and uh, her being Steffi Cohen was the, the person who posted it. Um, she's a doctor of physical therapy. So someone who has a lot of education, right, who's got a great amount of knowledge and her herself has a lot of lifting experience being a 25 time uh, champion 
power lifter mm -hmm. and she's also the first woman to lift 4.4 times her body weight in the deadlift okay it's quite impressive so yeah it's very impressive right she's obviously she can do things really well right mm -hmm. uh when it comes to lifting um and here's what i'm going to say she said that it's not like tender like you can't judge someone's movement well that's where you're wrong here okay because <laughs> as professionals in the business here we can judge and we should judge okay we are evaluating people's movements every time that we're working with them mm -hmm. right so um as a professional i can't make a change to somebody that i just see that i'm not training right but i do it but i evaluate movement every time i see it right? right that's that's our nature that's our job right like that's something that we should be doing right mm -hmm. uh good samaritan thing if you can help somebody help somebody right right um but i do agree that you should take in all the information before you start um correcting Right. right or making those modifications for mm -hmm. that person right so that was my number two thing uh number three something else she said everyone has unique movement signatures 100 percent true right we're not all the same but that shouldn't change the expectation and the standards of the lift right and if they are inefficient um with that exercise due to their limb lengths their body proportions their mobility levels whatever mm -hmm. we need to be doing something to to change what exercise they're doing, right? If mm -hmm. they're inefficient in that movement, well, you either need to be doing your job better as a coach and getting right. them to be efficient, right? Using mm -hmm. better words, uh, maybe demonstrating again yourself. Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes people use like manual manipulation to put right. them in a position that's gonna set them up for that, right? Different cues that'll make them understand right. what they need to be doing. Right, or you need to choose a different exercise, right? Because right. there are plenty of exercises out there that are research backed that will benefit you in the same way as this one exercise that you're inefficient in, right? Mm -hmm. Like if you're not very good uh, conventional deadlift because of limb links and body positions and maybe overall experience, hey, why not try hex bar or trap bar deadlift, uh, same name mm -hmm. or a different name, same exercise. Um, so why not try that? Right. Okay. Uh, so those are a few of the issues here. But now let me get to the another, another issue that I have here, okay? okay. Uh, in the video for our listeners here that can't see the video, mm -hmm. hopefully you'll go find it. Um, but they're doing a deadlift. Okay. The demonstration at the end is a deadlift, right? Correct. Now, first of all, first of all, they're doing using bands. Like, well, why? Okay. They're probably more experienced in lifting. Yeah. You didn't see them, right? They're all using band resistance, right? So mm. I, I believe they're stepping on the bands and Got doing it. that, right? So, um, for everyone out there using the bands, it gives you more resistance on the way up. So as the band stretches and you get higher and higher into the movement uh, where you should be at a better mechanical advantage, uh, it gives you more uh, resistance so that you're having to use more force to stand up mm -hmm. and complete the lift, right? And then on the flip side of that, it's going to bring you down faster because as you start to reduce your force, you know, it's going to bring you down, it's right? You down. It, yeah. it finds its advantage when you start reducing your force to lower the bar, it's going to pull you down. So you're going to have to control a little bit more, right? Um, so that's one of the things they were doing with it, but it's the exercise is a deadlift and the name is a dead giveaway. Mm -hmm. Okay. The people in the lift were like, they went up, right? It started great from the floor on the first rep. And then after that, they just started bouncing it off Touch the floor. Yeah. yeah. Using momentum basically mm -hmm. to start the movement again. Okay. <laughs> well, that's not the lift. All right. That may be how it works in squat because in squat, 
there is an eccentric phase or a lowering phase, and then you transition to upward again, right? Mm -hmm. That's how that movement works. Uh, Romanian deadlift works that way too. You start from the top, you lower to a right. certain extent, right? And then you come back up using um, that eccentric component in the lift. That's not how the deadlift works, right? And I would expect a 25-time uh, powerlifting champion to understand that um, and understand what that means in how to do that movement, right? Someone who's deadlifted that much weight, mm -hmm. more than their body weight, to understand that that's what that movement calls for. Mm -hmm. Let me refer to uh, Newton's three laws here as it relates to deadlift, okay? <laughs> okay. Number one, it's the law of inertia, okay? So that bar by itself waiting for you to come lift it is inert, right? right. Meaning that it's going to remain unchanged. Mm -hmm. It's good where it is, right? So unless you apply enough force to lift it off the ground, it's going to stay that way. Okay. It's going to remain unchanged unless acted upon by an outside force, right? Which would be us at that point. Okay. Number two, force equals mass times acceleration. Just like I said, if you don't produce enough force to lift it, you ain't lifting it. Okay. So you have to produce enough force, but that's why that's where the deadlift is the most important is right off the ground. That's where your benefit is through a deadlift right off the ground. Get your body in the best position brace lift mm -hmm. all right and then don't rip no no, no 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 lift uh and the third one is um every action has an equal and opposite reaction right so this is what i'm talking about with the bouncing off the ground right so now there's no now the bar doesn't become inert anymore right like it doesn't stay still after your first rep right if you're let's say you're doing three reps right if you don't just let it rest for a second let it become inert again which would make the lift more difficult um, and include or um, require a higher force output because mm -hmm. it's inert, right? When you start to do that bouncing, equal and opposite reaction, well, gravity is acting on it as you're allowing the bar to go down to the ground, right? Mm -hmm. So gravity is really pushing that bar down. Once it hits the ground, that equal and opposite force is coming from the ground back into your bar, which is creating a little bit of momentum to bring it back on the way up, right? So you're right. not you're not lifting it from a dead stop anymore, right? And it doesn't require as much force for you to start that because you have begun your um, force or your acceleration of the bar higher than where it was originally off the ground. So you're in a little bit better position to go into that. But it's called the deadlift for the reason that you need to be able to pull it from a dead stop, mm -hmm. okay? Um, so those are my issues there. And um, just a great post, I think, to get people talking. Like she was right at the beginning, it triggers some people. But mm -hmm. honestly, yeah, it triggered me from a professional level. Like you're influencing others out there. Like you know that you have yeah. tons of followers mm -hmm. and you're telling them that everything's okay, basically. I mean, not that you said that, but right. you didn't. But it was implied. Yeah, but you didn't say that there was such thing as bad form. And if yeah. you're not, if you're not telling people something is right or wrong, mm -hmm. and helping them, uh, and helping educate them, like you're trying to do with the post, I think you're missing the mark here. Mm -hmm. You need to tell them that there is something as efficient and inefficient technique. How to fix inefficient technique how to adjust your exercises if you have an efficient technique, mm -hmm. maybe educate on why things look differently when people do them because mm -hmm. of limb links, 
and offer something else instead of just saying there's no such thing as good and bad technique. Well, when that person has inefficient technique and you didn't tell them it was bad and they get injured because they kept doing it, that's right. on you, Steffi. That's on you. <laughs> right. Or they get injured or they're not seeing the results they want to see because they're not being efficient in what they're doing. Right. That you're would be the the lesser of the two evils of what's happening. Right, right, the right. The worst would be you're getting injured hopefully not chronically injured and the lesser would be you're just not progressing. Absolutely. But there's the opening opinion. <laughs> Let's move on to, to the yeah, next Yeah, let us part. know what your thoughts are <laughs> if you have any on that. Yeah. Um, and go check out the, the original video if you have time. Absolutely. Yeah. So let's get into what we, uh, what we want to talk about today. So what we mentioned before, controlling the controllables. So yeah. How, I mean, I guess you could relate it to that video in a sense of like, what are the controllables you could control in that situation? Uh, from a coach or? Um, from a coach. From a coaching standpoint, like you control what the athlete is doing at that point, like what exercise they're doing, uh, sets and reps, intensities. Um, you can you can control that stuff because honestly, you are the professional giving them feedback. So always you should do an evaluation always if it's somebody new that you don't know and that evaluation doesn't have to always be controlled i need to test you i need to get my goniometer out and see what your you know joint angles are in certain positions right it doesn't have to be that all the time right you can evaluate someone in a warm up right mm -hmm. you you can evaluate their movement through um like a unloaded barbell like movement if you just tell them hey i want you to do five back squats here with this empty barbell. You just kind of let them do it and stand in a, a good spot where you can see everything you need to. I like a good 45 degree angle, you mm -hmm. know, off the knee, Yeah. you know, so I can see any valgus. I can see ankles. I can see, um, you know, body shifting, you know, I can still see, you know, how the core is, mm -hmm. uh, is it holding that, that stiff position, um, as we're, going throughout the movement, you know, or a neutral spine or anything like that. So I, it can be evaluation can be whatever you're best at or whatever is the best for the athlete mm -hmm. as you're going into the program. Right. Cause I don't know what your evaluation would be, but you need to evaluate something. Right. right? Um, and then after that, then your, your program kind of formulates off of that. Right. Mm -hmm. And you need to be, you need to be prepared, but you also need to be flexible. Uh, another thing, I guess another way to say that is you need to maintain and hold strong to your principles, but you need to allow your methods to be adjustable to the athlete without mm -hmm. losing the principles. Right. So aside from maybe that specific uh, example, what are some controllables or things that are within a, a coach's control that they should be focusing on? What would you suggest? Uh, most of the time they control like the plan uh, or the time frame that they're going to do something in. Right. Uh, I think it's great to have uh, a plan, a vision. Uh, let me, let me, I guess I can go through this stuff here. Um, I think you need to decide what your goals are as a coach for, you know, your athletes and let that really shape your vision, um, for like the vision, like acute chronic, you know, for the short term and, and like, what are your, what's your vision for, uh, the end of the season or the end of your training period and like what's your vision for everything happening in between. So it's good to have a vision. Sometimes people work backwards, mm -hmm. um, which is, is great to say like, um, well, that's basically what I just said. So yeah. I, I said, what's your, what's your goal? What's right? your goal for the season? So what's your end then, goal? And yeah. then how, how do we, 
you know, where do we want to be? And then you start from the beginning or like, how do we get there? What's the mm -hmm. process look like along the way? Right. And that's your vision. Uh, another thing they can control is the consistency of themselves, right? Like mm -hmm. not being, not being swayed by a lot of the emotion and like things that pop up here or there right. um, around the schedule that you set or around the vision that you, you set, right? Um, there's a difference between being uh, flexible and flying by the seat of your pants, mm -hmm. right? There's, there, there's a difference between that. And it, sometimes it takes a little nuance. Uh, might be hard for like a younger coach um, mm -hmm. who is a little closely, more closely invested, I think, in what their expectations are or what like, how, how they react to certain things, mm -hmm. to a certain situation. So th there's a bit of nuance, I think, that comes with um, handling situations that may arise. But being consistent um, in the way that they approach it and um, in the way that they planned it as well, um, just a lot of things. I mean, my, my mind is going back and forth, like, from what a coach would be to also what an athlete would be in that situation. Yeah. Um, in, in that process of, of your vision, having actionable steps, uh, things that that's like how you get toward your goal, right? Things right. that you think you need to accomplish there. And, and I think having checkpoints along the way, um, whether that be uh, strength conditioning professionals, having that initial evaluation, whether or not that included performance metrics or not, mm -hmm. um, if you're using performance metrics throughout, you should have a checkpoint to reevaluate or right. evaluate them for the first time before you go in or continue on that progress, right? Because that checkpoint is going to tell you whether you should adjust or adhere. So mm -hmm. you need to adjust your plan because it's not leading you towards your goals or you need to continue adhering to that plan because it is leading you towards your goals, mm -hmm. right? Um, so that's one thing I, th I think, and those are some things I think coaches can um, control and, and should have in mind as they're moving as they're moving from season to season, as they're moving from phase to phase, but also they should have that throughout, right? Mm -hmm. Like maybe before they get into an entire year, I need to have a vision. I need to have these goals so that I can form these things and have that fluidity of what's going to happen, but also like holding strong to what I believe is going to get us there, right? Like mm -hmm. right, principles and things like that. Yeah. I think you could probably translate that to the athlete side too, you know, like setting goals, having a clear vision of what you want to accomplish, being consistent. I think the consistency is where a lot of athletes or just people in general go wrong of like, I liked how you mentioned there's a difference between like being flexible um, and not. And I, I was thinking about this the other day of, I think there's a difference between like being flexible and making excuses. And I think that's where consistency, people find consistency so difficult because we can get caught up in making excuses when things don't go our way, but they're in the, they fall into that category of like controllables, right? Mm -hmm. So from like a nutrition standpoint, this is generally, you know, there are always exceptions, but generally you can control what you're eating, when you're eating it, how you're eating it, the environment you're eating it in, um, and so some of that is going to come from what are you purchasing at the grocery store? Where are you shopping? Um, what what time are you setting aside to to eat and to to make time for meals? Because you can always make time for it. There's always this excuse of I'm too busy, I don't have time. 
you have time, you have to make it right? right. You don't have to work through lunch every day or you don't have to, there's, there's no, uh, I don't have time to eat a pre-workout snack between class and, um, and practice. You have to change, right? You right. have to walk there. Yep. there. You can drink six ounces of apple juice on your way there. So like, there's always that, I think there needs to be that distinction between like being flexible and, and maybe there is really an obstacle in your way and kind of having to pivot and, and adjust versus making an excuse to not being consistent because something was inconvenient. Right. Uh, you bring up a great t a point about time. I've heard this line for a long time. You have time for what you make time for, mm -hmm. right? So it, it's it's not about excuses. It's about doing what's right. Um, and it's about like how important the first one goals, how important are your goals to you? If, if we're making excuses, it tells me that they're not really that important. Exactly. Exactly. And, and talking about the athlete thing um, and how it relates to athletes with being consistent and making time. Also, it's about um, in these physical bouts, but maybe related to time is about putting in the effort, mm -hmm. right? To make the time or putting in the effort um, in, in the terms that I like to say is having intent when you're doing something, mm -hmm. right? If your intent is to get faster, but you can't be jogging when it's time to sprint, mm -hmm. you know, you have to have that intention to do that, right? You have to have that consistency to work towards that goal. But also there comes with a, a discipline and a maturity mm -hmm. to be able to have that consistency, right? right? So are you, can you recognize that you're not uh, making time to have, um, to prep your meals or making time to um, to grocery shop. Yeah. 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 Or, or, or not making the, the best decisions or putting yourself mm -hmm. in, in the best decision to make a great decision at the grocery store or do the right thing, uh, when you're training or, um, you know, do the right thing when you're practicing your sport. So mm -hmm. it's like, you need to be able to recognize those things mm -hmm. and have that, that maturity, which, you know, it, it may not come over time, but, but just to be able to recognize it at first is a great win, mm -hmm. right? And then you have to do something about it, right? Which yeah. takes another level of discipline to be able to put yourself back in line with where your goals were, mm -hmm. which are, are being consistent, right? Yeah. I think discipline is one of the, the most important things. I, I think it used to be, or, or a lot of times, maybe younger athletes, but without that kind of uh, self-awareness or that maturity, the reliance is on motivation and wanting wanting to do it mm -hmm. and being motivated and excited to do something. But typically, I mean, if you look at anything that you start doing, usually in the beginning, you're really excited about it, right? You're right. like, oh, I get to, you know, I have a new puppy. I'm going to go walk them and let them out and all this stuff. And then after three days of not sleeping, you're like, I don't want to do that. But you have to. <laughs> right. Or the same thing with like, you know, when you, um, when you start a sport, like it's exciting, I'm meeting all these new people and then it's like three months in and you're like, dang, this is really hard. I don't want to do this anymore. You can't rely on motivation anymore. It's that discipline that's going to get you to continue to do those things that you have to do to reach that shiny object, objective goal that you want to reach. Um, but motivation's not, not going to get you there. So I think that discipline right. needs to be like, number one, we just have to we just have to recognize that it's not always going to be fun, but you, that doesn't mean that we stop doing the things that we need to do to, to get us there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I've seen this happen in the collegiate setting many times. People come back from summer, you know, they're excited to be seeing all their like teammates again. They're mm -hmm. excited to be back at school and, mm -hmm. you know, get back into things as it pertains to their sport. 
and you know, everything's hunky dory right at that <laughs> time. Right. And there's a lot of external motivation happening because yeah. there's an excitement around it. Right. But yeah. then we hit like week six of training and mm -hmm. it's been a little brutal classes. You have really ramped up. They got things mm -hmm. due. Maybe they're a Mid little terms. behind going to social events with mm -hmm. people. Life's starting to really compound, you know, mm -hmm. like on, on top of them and everything gets really bad. And then just like you said, it's not, there's not as much external motivation anymore because that has all worn off. No. It's really up to that internal motivation yeah. for them to be able to keep themselves in line and go after what they wanted, you know, when they had all of those external factors, mm -hmm. you know, that were so positive, right? Yeah. I think you could even say that that's what maybe is going to separate a good athlete from a great athlete is yeah. if one relies on motivation versus motivation and then discipline when mm -hmm. the motivation isn't there or just discipline number one and motivation is just like a cherry on top. Yeah. 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 And I think that's, that's hundred percent right. Like if you look at the scale of like um, what makes average, you know, and like uh, hitting your bell curve and all that stuff, right. An average athlete is really excited when things are positive mm -hmm. and really down when things are negative, right? Mm -hmm. And that makes you average because mm -hmm. you've got you've got no consistency. Right. You're you're one way and then you're the other way and that equals right in the middle, right? right. But those people who can maintain or separate themselves from having those low lows or finding mm -hmm. uh, a little more uh, drive or internal motivation to keep going. That's what's, right. that's what elevates you a little bit more mm -hmm. to be consistent, to have that self-awareness and to, uh, continue on. Yeah. And you have the, the ability to control that. Absolutely. And that's what we're talking about. Controlling the controllables. Yeah. That's fantastic. So those are all things we can control. What about things that we can't control and how, how does an athlete or a coach or either one work around that? to still either, you know, have be disciplined or still reach that goal, but right. there are maybe just things that are obstacles that are in the way that you cannot control. Yeah. Um, I think I'm, I'm trying to remember something that I did. I did a presentation that kind of referred to this, um, this topic or one of my points was about this topic and I'm trying to remember the, the third one off the top of my head, but, mm -hmm. um, It'll come as, to you. As a coach, it's hard to, well, it's it's really impossible to control athletes' energy level mm -hmm. and effort level and uh, buy-in and all that stuff, like their investment mm -hmm. into what's happening here with the team setting, right? right. Whether it be practice or this uh, fundraising event or mm -hmm. whatever, right? That's up to the athlete. Right, right. It is, coach. right. And the coach can't control that, right? Right. Uh, but... I think what's in some athletes need different things at mm -hmm. different points, right? Like they need to connect to what your message is in whatever way it is and whatever uh, need that they have that they are struggling to find or, you know, associate themselves with that ideal, right? Mm -hmm. So they need to find that. Um, a lot of times uh, this is talking mainly strength conditioning when you're talking about exercises and stuff. This is my experience is some kids want to know how, what the science, how it, the movement benefits them based on the science, right? Mm -hmm. So they want, they want to know the science, right? Mm -hmm. Some people know, want, want to know how it relates to their sport, right? And then some people just want to go, 
Right. Right. They just want to know what we're doing so we can go. Yeah. Um, I think those are the three generalizations that I made in my presentation Mm -hmm. is that sometimes you have to give a little more science, right? You have to be more sciencey with people who are either in that major or they're just very inquisitive. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, the second one, uh, which I think is most people, they just want to know how this translates to my sport, right? Why am I doing this? Yeah. Which could include a little bit of science, Mm -hmm. you know, in there as well, where you're giving them some background of like, you know, either this is a muscle group side effects, which are important for your sport, or this is the, the quality mm-hmm. of your body that we're trying to yeah. improve, right? And how, this is how it can relate to your sport. And the other ones, they're just like hard workers or, you know, I don't know, sometimes people call them blue collar people. As we're talking about this, I have former athletes just popping in my head for yeah. each of these ones, they're right? They're the workhorses. Yeah, they're just like, I'm mm-hmm. ready to go, right? Mm-hmm. And, and you love those people because they'll just... Yeah. But it's nice because it's like, wow, you have 100% trust in me. That's great. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, w- which, um, you know, it, it's okay to be skeptical, you know, a yeah. little bit at first. That's why you get to know people and stuff like that. But uh, it, it's really great once once you have a buy-in level that mm-hmm. is like that that third person. Uh, how does it how does it relate in nutrition? very similar. Yeah. Uh, some people want to know what what's happening in my body, what mechanism is being triggered when I eat this x food like what's happening and then yeah. you have to get a little bit more sciencey right. i would say that's very few and far in between um in my experience mm-hmm. and then you get the i would say the middle one is probably the most of how is this going to help me in my sport or how is this affecting me why do i need to be doing this and i would say for the most part i would try and do that regardless mm-hmm. because most of the time i i wouldn't want to do anything without knowing why i'm doing it yeah, right. so i i tried to do that and then the the third one would be some some kids are just like, just tell me what to do. I don't have time to think about it. My brain can't hold <laughs> any more information. So whatever you say, I'll do. You got it. Right. And then there were, you know, there's that other on the other end of the spectrum that were like, I don't need your I don't I don't care about nutrition. It doesn't matter to me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think you're gonna get those everywhere. That's like the the spectrum of attitudes towards what anything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Literally anything, anything. Anything, right? Like people wanna know. People who don't care, people want to know a lot of stuff. People want to know just a little bit of how it's relevant. Yeah. And then people who are just, you know, like, great, let's, let's do go. it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it translates the same. Oh, that's fantastic. That's fantastic. Do you have any, um, I mean, we're kind of moving back and forth between athletes and coaches and stuff like that. Do you have any, yeah. um, since coaches um, control a lot of the sports aspect, right, mm-hmm. which can influence the nutrition um, that, an athlete may experience if the the funds are there, right? For that particular right. high school, that particular organization, um, university, whatever setting they're in. Mm-hmm. But most of the time, it's the parents who are influencing uh, what and when, I guess, to an extent, unless yeah. you got a really busy schedule, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so do you have any like general guidance um, or just helpful information for the people who are controlling that nutritional aspect? Um, yeah, I think it's just being able to, let's say maybe if you're a parent being able to provide the best options for your athletes so that they can make better decisions or they, they have a little bit more control. So maybe that's including the athlete in grocery shopping. So they have a little bit more control of what's available if that's an option. Um, making sure that, I mean, again, if financially it's, it's, a possibility, making sure that there are three meal, at least three meals available a day. Um, maybe that means taking advantage of school lunches um, and, and having funds available for that. Um, 
maybe that means working with a dietitian. So it kind of depends on like the level, but um, generally I would say having food available, a variety of foods available um, so that your athlete can make those more informed and better decisions. Um, but then when you get into like athlete to athlete, um, they could be making the same decisions and based on things out of their control, like genetics or just how their body like metabolizes things, they may need completely different things. So it's kind of hard to say, like, just do this, um, across the board. But I think the main thing is just setting your athlete up and, and giving them a little bit more control so that they can make good decisions regarding their nutrition. So if a parent was one of those very inquisitive people that we talked about, mm -hmm. they could work with a registered dietitian to find out those more um, specific details that you mentioned. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah and uh, obviously it was different when we worked in college. Parents weren't really involved, maybe, right. maybe a handful, but um, for the most <laughs> part, they weren't involved. Um, unless it was like in the recruiting process, but, um, we, working with younger athletes, typically the parents have to be involved if, because they're the, they're the providers. So either the parent can work with a dietitian or if the athlete's working with a dietitian, have the parent join the beginning or the end, or maybe every other, or at some point so that you can strategize like, Hey, this is what we talked about with your athlete. Mm -hmm. This is the what we decided would work best for them based off of um, availability, their schedule, and based off of what I think they would benefit from and what they kind of need to reach their goal. What what can you do or how can we enlist you to help make this goal happen and support the athlete? So again, maybe that's going grocery shopping and, and buying the things to have available. Maybe it's um, putting money in their school lunch fund. Maybe it's bringing the athlete with them to the grocery store. Um, maybe it's picking them up from practice instead of sending them with somebody else. So it just kind of depends. But I think having that um, external person to help and then kind of almost like delegate controllables to each party can be really beneficial yeah, because it almost is like, oh, that is in my control. I can do that. We just had to rearrange things. Yeah, it seems helpful to uh, include if, if it was an athlete to registered dietitian meeting to include that parent just so mm -hmm. everyone's kind of on the same page. Right. That makes sense. Right. Yeah. And I like to do that. And usually the parents like to do it too because they're paying for it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and then there's a chance that they may learn something, yeah. you know, as well and be able to take that to their own life. Yeah. Most of the time I think they do because just nutrition is such a, I mean, with social media, there's so much stuff out there that it's hard to know like what's what. And, and most of the time, maybe these parents, if they don't really have an athletic background, they're not well-versed in sports nutrition because sports nutrition is, I mean, it's different that perform. We were talking about this the other day, performance nutrition is not the same as like physique or just like general wellness. It's very different because these athletes are exerting a lot of energy and they're engaging in a lot of activity and they're, you know, they're doing a lot that the average human isn't doing and their goals are very different than what the average humans are. Um, so that kind of nuance or that niche of nutrition is maybe very different than what they're seeing on their Instagram for you page or what they've learned in their like parent Facebook groups about nutrition. So I think working with somebody who understands that is going to be helpful and hopefully they can learn to, to educate their child even even to help themselves too. Right. 
I mean, the same thing applies uh, on the other yeah. side here for me is that, you know, uh, performance training is way different than physique training, like mm -hmm. you mentioned, like, uh, both of these categories are doing things that the average population wouldn't normally do, because uh, bodybuilders and, you know, physique uh, models, I mean, they do some pretty like intense. Uh, intense type yeah. of training, you know, um, that even that performance athletes, you know, would, or the athletes, I guess I'd say in general for sports would, would have trouble doing, you know, if they mm -hmm. just try to jump into it, um, as would the average population, yeah, right? And vice so, versa. yeah. So, I mean, those things are, they're definitely experiencing unique expenditures, right? And those things require different, uh, programs, uh, when it comes to training and also different programs to supplement that when it mm -hmm. comes to what they're eating, you know, on an everyday, every meal basis uh, to be able to fuel their body and help it recover and stay um, or head towards the goal that they want. Mm -hmm. um, if I was going to give general guidance for um, coaches who may not have um, a strength conditioning professional around them for whatever reason in their, in their setting, I would say that simplicity done optimally works mm -hmm. right um i have a i have a, a a phrase that includes three different areas of, of strength conditioning but the first part of it is strength works right if you can just get stronger that's going to help you right mm -hmm. like training as we as we call it uh, resistance training is building resilience in your body for the forces that you may um experience when you're playing a sport. So basically you're just trying to make your body a little more robust and resilient against those forces that you're going to be facing. Right. So it's not necessarily a bad thing to train and man, this is for all the coaches who think it's a bad thing to train in season. It's great to train in season. Mm -hmm. You should train in season, right? You need to be able to maintain the strength because if you just stop training, all that strength that you built mm -hmm. is going to just go away. So you need to train to maintain at right. that point. Right. right. Um, I could get really deep on some other stuff, but that's not necessarily general. We'll save that for another podcast. Uh, we're going to close off this segment or this podcast today with uh, just some shout outs on social media uh, for people that we think are reputable sources that maybe you can go check out. Uh, I'll go ahead and start off. Um, mine is Max Schmarzo. Um, his, he, he's got, he goes with a couple of different things. Um, Strong by Science. Um, he also has his own business, always an athlete where he's helping people, uh, train as if they were still an athlete, focusing a lot on, uh, lower body explosion or, or power training for lower body. Um, and then some upper body hypertrophy type of work as well. Um, he continues to be an athlete in the basketball world. Um, I think he lives in Iowa for some reason. Um, you know, good on <laughs> Don't him. Don't hate on Iowa. Well, I've been, I mean, no, no offense <laughs> to Iowa. I know some great people out of Iowa. Yeah, I've been to Ames twice and I, I haven't been back since, you know. Um, so I've never been to Iowa. Yeah, good on him for living there and choosing to be there. Uh, it seems like they got a pretty good facility where he lives um, in that area. So. Uh, really comes out with a lot of innovative drills and stuff like that. Love to see it. He's always posting about science and you'd be surprised. Some of the science that is still relevant today was published back in the, you know, seventies, sixties, you know, stuff like that. So he's always bringing that mesh of, um, old and new together and mm -hmm. just bringing great content. He also does some, uh, reviews on and just posts about some 
interesting stuff. He had a watermelon review at one point during the summertime. It was hmm. it was great fun. Um, I think he likes aliens too, which is aliens. fantastic. Hmm. Um, yeah, unique guy. Uh, you should go check him out. Uh, Max Schmarzo. Um, you can find him. Always an athlete. Um, you can find that on YouTube and. Um, uh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. Go seek strong out by some... science. Sorry. Strong by science is the other thing I was trying to think of yeah. how it was lined up. Go okay. seek out some reputable sources. Um, Claire, who you got mine. I'm, we're probably going to name a lot of people by the, by the end of this podcast, whatever, but, um, not this episode, but in general, but right. I have Dr. Lane Norton, who's from, not from, but lives here in Tampa. Um, so kind of in our backyard, come, Come be on our podcast if you want to. It's a shameless <laughs> plug. Um, no, but he is, he's an entrepreneur. He has his PhD in nutritional sciences. Um, a lot of different businesses in the fitness and nutrition world. I think he has a supplement company as well. Um, but he, a lot of the content he puts out on social media, a lot, if not all of it, is all research-based, which I think there needs to be a lot more of. He calls out a lot of the the BS that's online, a lot about nutrition. Um, he was one of the the first and probably one of the hardest hitters on Liver King just to call out all of the nonsense that man was spewing, making millions of dollars. Um, topic for another time. But go give Dr. Lane Norton a, a follow. He's uh, BioLane on Instagram, and he's just, um, just a wealth of knowledge. And I think younger athletes and, and just anybody who's – fit or wants to be fit can really benefit from the information he gives out. Yeah, that's great. Go check out Dr. Lane Norton. Go check out my guy, Max Schmarzo, <laughs> and come back and check us out on the next episode. Yeah, see ya.